This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. I'd like to introduce today's guest, who I really have enjoyed speaking with a lot over the years. She She's called Sandra Coyle, and she specializes in global communications, strategic planning, expanding market share and brand influence for organizations. We discuss PR and communications, and this kind of stuff. So you'll find it very informative, I'm sure. We also discuss crisis management and you know how an organization should manage that. It's lovely to speak with you again, Sandra. It's lovely to speak with you as well, Nate. Thank you for having me today. Pleasure. It's, it's quite an interesting topic today. I'm, I'm very interested in PR and public relations and crisis management. And I know you've got a wealth of experience in these areas and I think that actually you know we were talking a little bit before the the uh, recording about how there's a lot of confusion around what PR really is what public relations really is and you know all these social media companies think that social media is PR and, and, and in fact it's an extension of PR and I think also it'd be nice if you could help clear up the confusion around marketing and PR as well because I know that's a topic you're very interested in. It's interesting I see many organizations particularly charities struggle with PR and understanding what the difference is between PR social media and marketing so I'm really looking forward to speaking with you and your audience today to really bring some clarification from my experience. Right so how does it work in terms of a marketing strategy and then a PR strategy? Marketing, maybe I'll start with with PR. I think oftentimes uh, with marketing, you're often selling a service or a product. Um, And it's really around uh, the methodology with messaging and timing and time to market. Um, PR is something that starts with the brands uh, from the early days. And it's really your reputation amongst the markets that you work in and also the audiences uh, that you're targeting. And it tends to take a back seat or there's just a lot of misunderstanding of what's involved with public relations. So it's the actual effort of going out um, and telling the story of your brand, not just once, but many times and through many channels. Oftentimes, of course, the media is a tool for that. But as you said, social media is a tool. It's not necessarily PR, but your multiple channels are a way to talk about your brand where you're defining uh, why it exists, what your goals are, um, and in a way, really giving a, a positive sheen to the work you're doing. So this is for charities, but you know, if you look at it in a, in a larger way, it's really individuals as well. Over the past, uh, say, 10 years or so since social media really took off, there's a lot of focus on personal branding and, and personal PR. 
as well. So this applies to individuals also. So it's that storytelling aspect uh, that has to come out and really inserting your brand into larger conversations also. Right. I've been talking a lot about storytelling in the past few days. I actually interviewed, interviewed someone who was head of storytelling for like Weber Shamwick and, and you know, the information that I've been understanding is exactly what you're, what you're confirming to me. And I think it's, it's, it's something that goes back to the core of that person and that individual and how their mission and purpose sit together. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. And I think when I work with organizations, I've worked with quite a few over the past 15 years on this. Typically it's a forgotten element of their business and it's core to their business overall. And this applies to charities as well. So when I mean business, I also mean uh, a charity's mission and purpose. And I see a lot of times I'm usually the one they're talking to when that work has not been done and others have defined what their mission and purposes and they have not assertively gone out and told that story. So it's, it's often when you look at a brand and this is not everybody, but in the cases I've seen, they started along that path and then they let it go. It's seen as an extra. But storytelling is very, very much a part of your everyday operations and your business. And organizations, uh, companies, and nonprofits need to invest in this area ongoing to sustain the effort. So it's a sustainability factor that tends to get brands into trouble overall. So it's the hard work, and I know uh, you're an expert in this area, but really doing the work around who are you now as a brand? Who are you in the future? So really working on your message. What are your key messages? And making sure that that's agreed upon, that is worked upon with everyone from your board of directors to any governance to, to any external stakeholders, and most importantly, your staff, because they are your storytelling ambassadors. So really honing the story internally, having some examples of that story in action ready at hand and training everyone to tell that story. Because as, as we've seen from certain cases, um, uh, particularly in crisis, which I think we'll go into shortly, your, everyone who touches your brand is really your ambassador and can really sway things. So they can be at an event talking about their company. If they're telling that story in a positive way with examples, it can have a ripple effect um, and reach many more people. So that core work needs to be done And mistake number two that I see happening is that's done once and everyone expects that story to stay static. Well, it's not. It changes all the time. It has to be revisited at least twice a year to see how is the organization evolving, but also how is the outside world evolving as well? Because that put pressures on companies and charities. So the whole external scenario and the organization has to be looked at together. That's really, really concise explanation. Thank you very much people will be really quite pleased to listen to this. But what interests me the most is that you've, you actually did some fantastic degrees when you, were, when you were studying. And the one that you did at Tufts with diplomacy in there, in the subject that you studied, I think it's fascinating, really, very useful for PR. Yes, well, it's interesting because I do want to give a shout out for state school systems or, or public schools, as we call them in the US. I know they're, they're different in the UK. 
But my education started at Rutgers University, which was a public uh, institution in the U.S. And I was a double major in journalism and history. Um, but journalism is really what got me into PR. And they taught me the writing skills, the interview skills, and the PR skills that I needed for later in life. And I had worked for many years, almost, let's see, 15, 17 years before I went back uh, for the government degree that you're referring to, which is a master's of the uh, Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University, just outside Boston. Tufts, uh, the, the Fletcher School is the oldest international relations school, diplomacy school in the U.S. I went into an executive program, so I was still working and studying at the same time so we could I could actually apply the skills I learned but it was a very diverse curriculum looking at everything from uh, crisis communications to leadership to negotiation to international politics finance trade to really help executives understand the world today so that really fit nicely on top of the skills I had learned at a public institution and had practiced for many years. Little did I know after graduation, just three weeks later, that I would find myself in a very big crisis situation. So it was nice to have the PR background, but also the crisis training from security professors as well to really hone out my skills. That's great. I think the element of diplomacy within, and also the knowledge of finance and the knowledge of of politics it gives you a unique angle when you're actually communicating with journalists and also with with the government as well and the charities and it, it almost it's almost like you could bridge the gap as an, as a person with within the charity governmental space and i just i just find that so interesting you're quite unique really in 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 that uh, i must say crisis management is is actually an extension of of PR then? Is that what you would, you would say? I think it is. It, it very much is. It's something you need to be aware of. All of the PR practitioners out there with uh, working with brands, you, it is. And it's, of course, when they're usually, not all cases, but it's usually reputational risk that results from either an action by the organization, a staff member, but also by changing trends in the outside world. So you're right, having that governmental and politics lens to look at exactly what is going on. Because again, I just want to stress this point, your organization, your brand sits in the outer world that is constantly changing. So the more you understand and the more you keep your eyes on that, the better positioned you are to do the PR work for your brand, but also to see what's coming in terms of is there a backlash against your mission? Is your mission causing troubles in certain countries? Why is that? Can you examine that with your leadership? Um, do you need to reposition uh, the way, the storytelling that you have behind your brand uh, to address that? So it is part and parcel with PR. I don't think uh, folks should be afraid of it. I know it's very uh, difficult to go through, but it also presents opportunities to increase your visibility as well. Um, there's, there's a certain former superstar who said, all publicity is good publicity, and I think I, I still believe that. I do, if it's managed in the right way. I mean, it, it, it depends on who it is. I mean, in general, I would agree, but there was, there was a lady, I forget what her name was, but she, she worked, I believe, in a, in a very, very prestigious job. 
she sent a tweet before she left on the airplane and and basically as soon as she landed she had lost her job literally it was just it was it, absolutely people went absolutely crazy and i think what's so scary is that you could send a tweet and someone could screenshot it and the moment that that tweet has gone out it's 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 forever in in the internet's arms isn't it it really is i had that happen to me a very interesting story with a brand account and i can talk about that a bit um but you're right exactly it has to be managed if you look at her and the company she worked for the brand took action to protect its reputation so it they managed it but again let's go back to organizations have to work on PR, but so don't individuals. And if you have a Twitter account or a social media account, that's the impression you are giving about yourself to the outside world. And you're right, it can, there's a screenshot and it will just go on and on and on. So I'd like to stress to folks, remember yourself and remember your, your social print out there, imprint that you're making and that every post you make is leading to assumptions and perceptions about your persona, your brand. Um, so be aware of that. I know some companies and organizations might limit your activity or you may have to put a disclaimer on your account profile. But always remember that all adds up. So if you're in a, a high profile position, I think most people know this, you have to be very careful with how you're presenting yourself overall. But crisis comms has to be managed. I think for her in particular, that was um, probably something uh, that should never have been on Twitter. But also she was in a plane for what, 20 hours, 18 hours and didn't really. Space of three or four hours, her company had said, so she landed, said her account had been hacked. It was verified that it wasn't hacked and it actually was her. And then immediately she was fired immediately. And they, and they just turned around and said, I'm sorry, you're, you're fired. And they gave a statement saying we've researched this and her account was not hacked. It was definitely her sending the message and she's fired. And that was that was basically what had happened, you know. I handled it well. You know, I think in, in that sense, their PR people did handle it. I mean, what can you do? Yeah, I think it, it should be questioned because remember, she was an employee of a brand and a brand uh, working on PR. So they, they want to make sure because the public makes that connection between an employee's actions and viewpoints and the brand's actions and viewpoints. So if they don't match, um, they need to take action. Yeah, very much so. I mean, there's a big thing over here right now. There's this sort of anti-somatic thing going on, or there has been for quite a long time. What I was amazed by, I found a, um, I found a video the other day from this from this beautiful blonde lady. She does, she works on Countdown, I think, or one of these TV shows, and she she stood up and said, "Do you know what? This is unacceptable." And she recorded this video. I really like the fact that she stood up and actually talked about that. And it's it's not an easy thing to do to actually stand up and be in the public eye and 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 sort of talk about these things. And I suppose it all depends on your company's policy as well and how they react to that. Because a lot of companies would potentially potentially fire her. For her activities but i think now it's a little different because of the you know unethical behavior of, of so-called right-wing individuals it has you know put that almost a spotlight on on these kind of racist scenarios so that 
people can actually stand up and say, you know what, that's not okay. That's the power of, of social media and also the power of media right there, that they can stand up and say it's not okay. If you are an employee and you're going to stand up on any issue on any side, I think it behooves you to talk to your employer uh, before you, you do any type of any, any type of video or anything. Um, to inform them, it's better than not to inform them overall. Uh, but it's challenging for organizations, right? Because employees are the extension of their brands and people have different viewpoints. Um, and now social media has empowered people. So the people now have the ability to define um, brands, but also define their brands and how they want to appear into the world or to the world, uh, where before organizations weren't. Uh, having to deal with such situations. So um, it really is an interesting time and I, it would be interesting to see how it evolves because you can see on social media, there seems to be lots of extremes going on in terms of viewpoints being shared. And there's a lot of in common section and other areas on, on um, news sites are getting quite um, um, challenging to say the least. So um, it's a different landscape, it's evolving all the time how brands navigate that soon to be seen. But I've always been at the, the position that, okay, we, we are working on PR. We need to engage with our audiences at all time. And any comment or viewpoint that we encounter, we have to engage with. I think there's some in the early days of, of social media, brands would automatically to protect their reputation, just delete comments or really, uh, manage the comment section, but I think they're realizing now that you have to engage. Um, I think it's it's the only way to go, and and I've known many CEOs who just did not want to engage um, on social media for their brand or or for the organization's brand, or over manage it, which results in opposite problems because the external audience will see that attempt to manage the message, and and it will cause a backlash to the brand. Yeah, I, I think it's it's certainly a difficult time right now. I mean, I agree. I agree with that approach a hundred percent. And also, what's very interesting is how you can actually misconstrue comments, and even emojis can be misconstrued. I mean, I I, I was talking with talking with someone yesterday about emojis, and and I actually typed into Google and and, and did a search on you know emojis and what they mean and stuff and people have done studies and and in fact an emoji from one phone versus another phone so for example the smiley face on an apple phone is less less happy than the smiley face from an android phone apparently so comments and emojis and even pictures and, and videos can be misconstrued entirely so i think from where i'm sitting actually asking a clarifying question is is really important in in the in the first instance, and then bringing light to what they're actually saying because you could you could completely misconstrue it, couldn't you? It, you can, and there's another element involved in that because we're all very global. There's cultural differences, and, and right now I'm I'm sitting talking to you from Nairobi, Kenya, originally from the U.S., but I've had the opportunity to work in in many different regions. So what might be okay? Um, if I'm sitting in uh, Bristol uh, posting something and is read by someone in Nigeria, it may not go over so well. There may be that cultural misunderstanding, which is, is challenging. It's really from country to country, it's very different. Um, social media is, is, is bringing us all together, but that maybe that smiley face isn't appropriate. 
um, outside of the culture as well, but it's accessible outside of the culture. So it's, it's, it can be a little bit of a, a tightrope uh, walk uh, when handling these situations. So like you said, asking a clarifying question or just engaging. But don't remove any comments or any retweets or anything like that that's happening. Just watch it, engage with them, send them a DM, say, you know, thank you for letting us know what's been going on, your experience with that brand. Can you tell me more? Are you willing to talk to us? Because we're concerned. We're concerned about our delivery. So there's ways to do it. And you, you don't, you let that happen because that's open trust. That's creating open engagement and trust in your brand that A, you care. That's a big, big thing. And any relationship, really. And then B, uh, that you're trying to remediate the situation as well. Um, so you care and you're, you're trying to take action with their collaboration and that they matter as either a stakeholder or a customer. Yeah. And also not being afraid to actually tell them that what they've said is unacceptable. I mean, I posted a, posted a, a podcast in a, in a group that I'm in. And I had someone, I had someone swear at me. He didn't, he didn't actually swear directly at me, but he commented on my post. So should I read you what I said to him and I'll see what you think? Okay, sure. So he basically commented on, on, on my post and he, he, he was basically swearing. He was so angry that he didn't even put, he didn't even spell the words properly, but he called me a prat and something else, which I'd rather not, I'd rather not name. But I just basically said, I addressed him by name. So I put his name in there. So he knew I was talking to him and responded directly to his comment. And I said, a while back, I started working on my anger management, responding to people when they are having a bad day in the wrong way or posting the wrong sentence may lead them into a meltdown or an anger fueled response, which I get dot, dot, dot. But there was no need to bring profanities into this conversation. Sensible discussion. Yes. Full stop profanities no back a few years ago i would have called you an internet troll and blocked you but today i'm having a good day don't call people names on the internet especially when you don't know anything about them or their story and i just carried on and on and i just said and i ended it with you know basically just saying whatever your opinion is i would appreciate it if you didn't call me names <laughs> and my point my point in reading that out is to basically just say that there are ways to get your message across, which shows up that person for, in essence, the troll that they are, because they are trolling you. They are, they are using swear words. They are being, you know, perhaps not used, calling you directly a name, but they are trolling you. So you need to take action and do something about it, don't you, really? Or you're going to sit there and you're going to ignore it, and then you're going to look like, like you don't want to defend yourself, right? Well, we have to look at it, and again, it's the culture situation. You, you know, that's personal. That's your, your brand. That's you out there in the world. Um, and it, is, it puts you on the defensive when you get something like that. Uh, in the way, you open dialogue. As opposed to one-upping or competition, in a way, you're welcoming an opportunity to engage at a more calmer level while adding some humor to it. Um, we've had that happen on our brand channels and we go to, to DM and we, we contact them and say, let's, let's have a conversation. Um, for organization brands, we try to take it off the, the main, uh, off public and do it privately as they have an issue they don't want to share. It could go very deep as to what's happening with an individual. You just don't know. And maybe 
thinking is they may share more if we do this privately. Um, but I see your point because you have a brand that you're protecting. It's, it's very personal. Um, but if you take away that competition element and look in, in almost that diplomacy element in your mind as you're approaching this, as an olive leaf, how can I work with this person? Because truth be told, some of these people who come after you or you see as critics might end up being one of your biggest supporters. It's all how you handle it. And if you engage with it, not everyone, I admit, not everyone, but if you can work and dialogue, it is the old way in the traditional way of handling crisis communications from a PR perspective. Back in 2006, one of a very large international brand I was working for uh, was facing a tremendous crisis that was uh, on the BBC, CNN, worldwide, and hurting operations. And it was a concerted effort over many years by a group of individuals had, who had issues with a perceived ideology that the organization was presenting to the world, which wasn't factual. Uh, so one of the things we did is actually you do it, and this is a, a diplomacy method as well, is you either go through a third party to do an introduction and to do private meetings in different locations to dialogue with an individual from that group or several individuals and to dialogue, what is the issue? Is this the real issue? Uh, what can we change? How do we work together? How do we evolve? So you do that over time. A lot of um, the diplomacy you see is done that way uh, behind the scenes. Um, and you may still have that contentious battle happening in the media or elsewhere, but behind the scenes there's actually discussions going on uh, that are more calm. And over time, you need to open a channel. So it's back to that dialogue, that engagement. If you can find a way to open a third party channel um, or directly uh, with them to dialogue without the fear of them taking that dialogue public, uh, most people who are engaging in this behavior want something from you. So if you remember that, they want something from you. They either want change, they want more involvement. Um, you need to dialogue with them. So as we face that uh, situation, and that was a daily situation with press calls coming from everywhere over uh, a nine-month period, we did actually start to move in that direction because it is a cost to an organization. Um, it does damage morale internally. It damages morale with external stakeholders and any partners. Um, so over time, you can re-message in a crisis like that. And we worked very hard to re-message and be very truthful and open. Uh, but at the end of the day, that back channel is very appropriate. So in a way for you, uh, Nate would be actually going and having that private conversation. If they're local and if you feel like it and if they want to do it, you can meet with them or have someone else there meeting with them. So you never know because your biggest critic could become your biggest supporter. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I actually made a friend out of that out of that whole conversation, that thread. I actually made made a new Facebook friend who's got a lot in common with me. And and, and, and we had a really, really good conversation. And on my feed now, I have really, really nice people having great conversations. So it's almost like that critic or, or troll brought awareness to the conversation for the other person because of the algorithm favors conversation, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not against conversation. 
I think conversation is important. I think if we if we if we keep it public and we and we don't censor conversations, then actually those conversations can 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 monitor themselves. Generally, you 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 know, I mean, when you when you were managing this crisis that you're that you're talking about, you must have had people who were f- pro your organisation. Pro was it a charity or can you not talk about it? It was a charity. It was actually, there was a, a big office in the UK as well. It was a charity and there was a big pro, but oftentimes, um, and I am going to look at charities with this and I apologize for that, but charities tend to be um, on the mission of good. They're perceived to be on the mission of good. And inside, um, there's a lot of passion. Um, they don't, they can be slow to react when this happens and not be sure on how to mobilize. Um, it took us a while to mobilize and realize, you know, we have a lot more people who are pro our brand and mission than those, that small group that's very vocal and getting the, the airtime on TV and radio and elsewhere. So we did manage to mobilize them over time. But I think charities naturally don't see it as, okay, eventually we have to mobilize, not against, but mobilize our message. So that's an, an important element of, of coming back against any criticism as well. Mobilizing, and in politics, you may know this, um, it's called mobilizing the base in the country I come from. So that's the first thing you do when you're in politics and running. You mobilize your base. Um, and you can see that playing out in the U.S. right now. Back in the day, I did work on a presidential campaign in the U.S. back in 2003, 2004, and, and we worked very hard on mobilizing the base. The base is those that are, are loyal to your viewpoint, your platform, your ideology. So you start out by actually ensuring that they are mobilized behind your message. And that can be hard because sometimes in politics, they're mobilized against the other party. But you can use that or the other uh, candidate. But you can use that as a way to get their passion behind your actual candidate. So you start, uh, you start with your campaigns by targeting your base, those who are aligned with you now. Um, if you look at the U.S., and at the time I was uh, campaigning for a Democratic candidate, the Democrats are doing that. But I think the party itself is feeling a bit uncertain because they've been very center uh, not left, uh, not too far left. They've been more centrist Democrats. But you'll see now that the base is is really skewing a bit younger towards millennial. Uh, and maybe a, mit, a bit more, or I can say a lot more to the left than the party had been for about 25, 30 years. So they're realizing to mobilize, they have to mobilize now more to a younger demographic um, and meet their demands and their needs as a party for the party to survive. So in very much every party is an organization with a need to do PR and it's also a brand. Um, so everyone should remember that when they're getting behind candidates that there's a party behind the scenes. So every campaign starts with mobilizing a base. And that's true for organizations. Who's your base? Who's your most loyal customers? Know who they are. Have that database of contacts that you can, if need be, um, have them interviewed in the press to talk about the value and the impact of your brand and your service. Um, showcase them all the time. Have them out there, take those video testimonials, tell their stories, because that's part of building up your PR. It's a huge part of it. I think today people are tired of brands saying, we're great. 
rah, 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 you know, listen to us. We are fabulous and let us tell you the five ways we are. It's better now just to have those who truly benefit from your service as a charity or from your product to tell that story for you. I think most brands get that now. Uh, but that was a valuable lesson we were, learned in 2006. And that whole organization today really lives and breathes that approach. They tell the stories of those who they positively impact. What is the lifelong impact of their work on these individuals? So they actually follow them over time. Back in 2006, it was all about the brand itself. If anything, because I think many charities, um, particularly in your region, are a little shy when it comes to really um, going out there with their brand. So that's something to think about um, along the board, along the lines of making sure you have your expert spokespeople beyond your organization who others are going to trust probably more. Um, and they can tell. So remember, always tell the truth because or position people who can tell the truth and who are actually benefiting or actual stakeholders because people, audiences are very smart uh, in terms of communications. So they'll see right through it. But always make sure you have that cadre, that, that spokesperson bench and those stories that you can tell. That's, that's really great, really great advice. I think, I think it's, it's so much more important now, like telling that story. And it's like, what does it mean to them kind of thing instead of this is all about us. It, and, and it's not just charities, it's all businesses are, are, are moving in that direction. Some are faster than others, clearly. But I think asking people questions of like, you know, why do you buy this? Why do you support this? What, why, do you, why do you love this brand? It just, it brings more and more people towards that brand, doesn't it? And, and it just more and more like-minded people, right, would you, would you say? Yes, and it brings authenticity to a brand as well. I think it's a key part. And you have to always remember, and I'll admit, when I first started working in PR, I didn't see it, and now I clearly see it. Your staff can make or break you in this. So you, you must start there. Um, and uh, you have to ensure your organization policy and your way of working is to involve your staff with your stakeholders. I think corporates, that's necessary part of the work and the pressure they're under with revenue. Um, I think it's, it's charities should make that effort that everybody from the person who handles the mail on up is constantly going to whatever it is that you deliver. So if it's events, um, it's live streaming, anywhere they can interact with stakeholders and hear from them directly and understand the impact of their work. And then also with stakeholders, you're constantly engaging with them. They're going to show the passion a bit more because they're directly benefiting from what you're doing and can demonstrate that impact. So those are two key components or groups that you as a PR person should always be looking at every day. I've seen situations where, where staff who have not been included or felt belonging to the mission of an organization or felt left behind during times of change have caused some serious crisis issues. Um, so don't leave anyone behind. Uh, make sure they're informed. Speak with, to them with all the authenticity you can bring. Tell them the truth. 
um, I'm looking at corporates and charities, tell them the truth. If there's change coming, if there's change that people will not like, you must tell them the truth and the real reasons behind that change. You'll win more in the long run if you do that, and you'll pick up more supporters as you go forward, and you'll be respected more as a brand. In addition to that, you you would put together a crisis comms plan, wouldn't you, which would which would be, you know, who's responsible for the communications, who's going to be the first person who finds out about this, who are they going to speak to, who's going to create the responses, what responses are they going to use, who's going to manage the comms, you know, like all those elements have to be thought out, right? Like before you even, before you even get to the crisis, you would hope anyway, otherwise you're in big trouble, right? Well, you better be prepared to rip that plan out yeah. when it happens. And, and I'm smiling as you're saying this because that is old school and you should have it and you should be yeah. drilling for it twice a year so you're, you know how the reaction is going to happen. But I faced quite a big crisis from a hacking group that was threatening to take down our company and was in the process of actually doing it from the external perspective. And we had a lovely written, beautifully executed crisis plan. We drilled. We thought we had everything down pat and then the rule book was thrown out and we had a totally different experience and we had to immediately form a crisis team um, that would last 48 hours and was worldwide and had five people on it and we had to rethink what we would do in this type of situation. So do have that. Do be prepared for it. Don't, I implore you, become nonchalant with this and say, oh, we have no enemies, we have no competitors, we don't need to worry about this. Everyone needs yeah. to be prepared. Like the, the boys, right, scouts, is be prepared. So make sure you have it, bring it up with your leadership, all you PR people. If they don't think they need to spend time on it, really push for it, at least drilling. But be prepared because it will not be what you think it is when you think it will happen. I can promise you that. I always joked, back in the day that it's always probably going to be 1700 on a Friday night or Friday afternoon or 5 p.m. for all those in, in North America. Um, it's going to be at an inconvenient time. It's going to be on something you didn't expect from maybe a group you didn't expect even thought of you as, as a challenge. So I agree, have that, but be flexible. You're going to need to be flexible um, and address the crisis that is before you, not the one that happened two years ago, throw that rule book out and deal with what is happening right in front of you. Look at how other organizations who may have faced something similar recently handled it. But a lot of it is going to be like bird box. You're going to be blindfolded and walking forward and you need to get to the goal. But it's better if you have a, if you in that plan, I'd say number one is have your crisis team identified with a chair appointed to it who is not the CEO, who is fully able and authorized to make instant decisions, including expenditures you may need to make to help you through this crisis. So that's the key part. You definitely, that's the core. So if you have that, you have to walk through your crisis differently each time. That's great. That's, that, that's, that's very logical. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's kind of having that team who are going to fix the problem, who are who are different to the people who are the crisis communications, right? So the people fix it need to communicate with the crisis team to give them an update so then you can move forwards, really. Ideally, though, your, your head of PR, your head of comms is on that team so that they're 
you're working live together and, and people, you know, tempers can flare. And this, you know, these crisis teams are formed in government, they're formed in times of troubles for a country. You know, emotions can run high. So having five is really, five or six is the ideal size. But you need to have honest and live discussions with the chair making decisions very quickly. So having that expertise from PR and comms is needed. They're often the voice for the outside world on how this action, action will be perceived. Oftentimes, you'll see comms or PR try to be pushed out of the room. They need to be in the room. They need to be one element. Um, I was in the room in that role with the crisis team we formed. But I would strongly encourage CEOs out there, make sure your comms and PR people are there. They're vital to the operation. I think oftentimes it's changing. Um, that side of the house isn't seen as a uh, return on investment. You can't actually see it. You can now with the measurement and sophisticated tools we have. Uh, but they should have a voice in the room despite that because if your reputation sinks, thereby goes your business potentially. So they're a very crucial element um, in the discussions around a crisis. Well, thank you. That's been, it's been, it's been very, very interesting talking with you again. So... Yeah, I will. I will drop uh, drop a link to your LinkedIn or your website, if you like, to the to the bottom of the broadcast. That would be wonderful, and I, I want to thank you for this opportunity, and thank you for everyone listening, and hope that this has provided some insight and help to you as you do this great work in PR. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe, and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show. Drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>